0: blockchain will improve security, increase efficiency, and lead to new business models for enterprises. Nate McCurvey believes this deeply. Nate is the head of blockchain and DLT at Splunk, and he spends his time helping enterprises gain insights and success when adopting this new technology. But that's just the beginning of the blockchain story. On this special episode of IT Visionaries, hosted by Mission CEO Chad Girls, Nate explains how our lives will change thanks to blockchain and cryptocurrency. Whether it's creating a ledger system that transforms a food recall process from one that takes days to one that takes seconds or moving to the tokenization of objects, which could increase the world GDP by huge orders of magnitude, there are exciting innovations happening and Nate has the details on all of them. Enjoy this episode. This podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Did you know that Salesforce isn't just for sales? Using Salesforce as an employee experience platform helps make every employee across your organization more productive thanks to a common, mobile-first platform for getting work done faster. Find out more at salesforce.com slash employee experience.
1: So, Nate, thanks for joining us today. Uh, If you could introduce yourself, uh, your full name, role, and title at Splunk, that would be great.
2: Hi, uh, yeah. I'm Nate McCurvy. I'm head of blockchain and DLT here at Splunk. Been at Splunk for over seven years now.
1: Very cool. And when you first came to Splunk, um, what was that journey like and where did you come from?
2: Ah, uh, So my journey began as a as a customer back in 2006. I worked on one of the most critical networks in the United States and I had to uh, find out what went wrong in machine da- in the data when the network went down mm-hmm. in order to keep planes in the air. And then I learned over time that in this data I was using for just troubleshooting IT issues was an immense amount of value and information from finding security incidents to analyzing business and improving our business outcomes. And that's when I got the itch to just go full-time, all in on getting value out of data and helping others get value out of their data. And I thought there was no better place than someone mm-hmm. to do that.
1: Did the industry at, at the time have a word similar to dark data? Or how were you thinking about those insights and the things that you were discovering.
2: Yeah. Back then, um, and maybe even still today. People thought logs were kind of the the garbage of, um, the, of data. Like it was what you kind of threw away and you didn't keep for very long. And it, it's still today, most people don't realize that it's not, it's not garbage anymore. It's your digital gold.
1: Right. And I think that digital gold is, uh, is really interesting because ultimately, it's uh, like gold, but it's also um, a form of trust, right? Uh, especially when you start getting that data onto a network or onto a blockchain, you can do really interesting things with it. Uh, so I'd love to hear you discuss, um, you know, where your interest in the blockchain got started.
2: Yeah, well, kind of on your point about the, the data and trust. If you can't trust that data that you're making critical business decisions on, you're going to be making poor business decisions.
1: Right. And I think what's interesting now is that many organizations are aware that they can encrypt and control their data in a way that uh, makes it more trustworthy. Um, are there any examples you like to cite about how Splunk is doing this or how other uh, partners are doing this?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so Splunk has always cared very much about the integrity and the security of data inside of it, uh, its software. And we continue to improve the software. And one of the ways we can do that is by leveraging some of the characteristics that blockchain and other distributed distributed ledger technologies have. And the immutability characteristic allows us to take hashes of Splunk data and put them on a ledger that our customers trust. And then we can prove that the data inside of Splunk hasn't been modified, manipulated, or corrupted, which is a big deal when we think about what I mentioned earlier, which is organizations are making critical business decisions on this data. And now they can prove that that data that they're making this decision on hasn't been tampered with or manipulated.
1: Sure. And for those out there that aren't familiar with the terminology, could you describe what a hashing process is like and what that offers um, both the uh, user and the creator of the product?
2: Yeah. So a hash is a one-way function. You put in any string of data, any text at all, and you apply this function, and it's going to give you a specific output that's always the same. Now, if you change any one of those letters or numbers in the input, it will create a completely different output. Right. And so we can represent any set of data, large or small, with a single hash.
1: And also, let's just you know, get clear on our uh, terminology here as well. So in your view, what is blockchain and what does it help to solve?
2: Yeah. Blockchain is just a ledger that enables trust. So what it does is it allows participants that don't trust each other to share information in a way that can be agreed upon. So what's different about a blockchain ledger versus other ledgers is that a blockchain ledger has three key attributes. It's immutable, distributed, and decentralized.
1: And so we talked a little bit about how blockchain is bridging the trust gap uh, at large. Um, I would love to focus in on a couple different industries. And you know, earlier, before we were recording, we were talking a little bit about your background. Um, how do you see blockchain being used or deployed inside uh, governments, nation states, um, for defense and things of that nature?
2: Yeah. Um, like you said, anywhere where there is a trust gap. And this trust gap is all around us, but we may not be aware of it because we've taken different actions to kind of avoid the trust gap by inserting intermediaries or keeping our own systems of record. but. This trust gap is a big deal if we can close it. It's similar to a few other big gaps we've had in recent society, modern society. Um, in the 1400s, the printing press closed the knowledge gap. The steam engine closed the power gap and the telecommunications industry and the Internet closed the distance gap. And it's said that this blockchain technology can close the trust gap. And what's interesting about all these previous gaps is they weren't very apparent until after they were closed. So most people thought their horses were powerful enough. Hmm. Who would want um, a, a car when there's no roads? But now we see everyone with cars, not horses. Sure. And so from an enterprise application, there are different there's so many ways the technology can be applied. And right now we're seeing financial services as the biggest area of investment, but also public sector, insurance, telco. And Although there are different use cases, one of the most common ones across every industry is using the technology to increase business efficiency. So no matter what organization or enterprise you are, you have various back office systems, you have uh, CRM systems, you have contracts that you deal with with your co-partners and vendors, and everyone is keeping their own copy of this data. And then when there's a disagreement, you have to reconcile with these other companies. And so it's very inefficient and expensive to have to reconcile with your partners, your customers, your vendors, your competitors. But if everyone uses a distributed ledger, they can increase business efficiency. And you might be saying, wait a second, you said competitors in there. Why would I want to share data with my competitors? Right. Well, in the insurance industry is let's say you're insurance company A and I'm insurance company B and, uh, Susie Smith has a claim and I go to pay that claim. But before I pay that claim, I want to verify that Susie hasn't also done that claim with other insurance companies. And so we can look at this shared ledger and verify that. And that same ledger will also be useful useful for the auditors. They don't have to go and audit each insurance company separately. They can do it all at once.
1: Sure. And when it comes to finance, um, what's a a vision in the future of banks working together better and sharing data, is that a bright future or is that a a bit troublesome?
2: Uh, So it's both bright and a little bit scary because the long-term effect of blockchain technology will be new business models. But in the short term, it's around, excuse me, in the medium term, it's around these increased business efficiencies. And so I think it's pretty bright when you think about the business efficiencies. Financial institutions are able to reconcile so much faster. So for example, DTCC, Depository Trust Clearing Corporation, they process $1.6 quadrillion in financial transactions. Wow! And they have multiple areas where they could improve performance, speed, accuracy, if they could reconcile faster. And so they're putting a project into production later this year that reconciles at much higher speeds. But also remittance is another area that's, that's very interesting. So let's say you want to send $20 home to another country, you might have to spend $12 on a Western Union fee, which makes it very expensive. Or you might do international wire transfer that takes three days and you can pay a fee. With this technology, you'll be able to do it in seconds or minutes and without
1: high costs. So what does that future look like where money could be moved almost instantaneously? Obviously, there are a number of advances we have to make in uh, computing and, uh, power and energy and battery life and things like that, uh, to really get there. But, um, what does that future look like in your mind?
2: I think it's very profound because you'll be able to do things like bank the unbanked is a common term. There's 2 billion people approximately on earth that don't have a bank account and this for various reasons. They may not have access to a physical bank or they may not be able to prove their identity that they are someone. But with this technology, anyone with a $40 smartphone can have their own bank. Right. And then when you can transfer this money or this value at very low prices, you can do some very interesting things. You could create a uh, global loan market. So when I drive down the street in my local town, I see banks I can go to and get a loan at a relatively high interest rate because they don't have to compete with the world. But soon you'll be able to have a worldwide loan market where anyone can loan to anyone or borrow from anyone, and it will make it highly competitive, which should encourage more borrowing and more entrepreneurship.
1: Right. I think in the larger financial markets, there's uh, something like $10 trillion that's getting negative yields right now. So I'm curious to hear, um, you know, what's your view on how we can start to encourage that money that's, whether it's tied up in sovereign wealth funds or pensions or foundations? Um, What's a signal that you feel that money is looking for to start investing into this technology? Um, Or do you think that they're already doing that?
2: I think it's uh, starting to happen if you look at what uh, Facebook and Libra are are doing right now or attempting to do. The technology will not be the biggest hurdle. Um, The regulation will be the hurdle. And that will vary by country. And there will be competition between countries for optimal regulation, but not too little regulation, not too much, not too
1: much. And what's the role of blockchain in helping uh, governments kind of find the right balance there uh, and show mathematically what's working and what's not?
2: Governments are in an interesting situation because if they over-regulate, it will decrease innovation. But if they under-regulate, it could cause more scams. And there's plenty of scams in this in this arena or industry. So they'll have to find the right balance. And if they are too strict to the Innovation will just go to other countries.
1: Sure. So, do any uh, enterprises um, reach out to you to discuss uh, security? Or do they reach out cold? Do they are they usually recommended in? Uh, and if so, what do those conversations look like um, when you're talking with other security uh, leaders?
2: So Splunk was originally just for IT troubleshooting, and then what happened was our customers started using the product. To find security issues. And we said, that's great, but we're not a security product or an IT product. And then they came back to us and said, wait, but you don't understand. We're finding security issues with Splunk that we can't find with any other system out there. So right. it's really our customers coming to, to us and telling us what it could, what it could do. And since then we said, okay, well, let's invest in it and make it easier for organizations to analyze security.
1: Right. And are there any examples of um, preventing security breaches or data breaches?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, if you look out there, just the the recent ransomware attacks that have happened in the... um, There's so many breaches from like EchoFax, OPM, and Ashley Madison, we're all familiar with two of which affected me. Uh, Our technology can be used to prevent those breaches. Same with ransomware. You can download a ransomware app on our website for free and help prevent ransomware.
1: So... As cryptocurrency and blockchain continue to impact uh, traditional banks and financial companies, um, how do you see the banks uh, adopting this technology at scale? What are the applications that you think that they're going to be looking for?
2: It's kind of various. uh, So there's things as recent as like JP Morgan announcing their JP Morgan coin. And then you have banks that are looking at uh, doing um, just reconciliation, but ultimately, they may have to consider how the business model may change over time. And it's scary to look at how business models might change, if, especially if they've been working for decades. But if they don't look at how the business model changed, they are prone to disruption. And this is happening not just in banking, but this can happen in, in, in storage and other in compute and compute in other areas.
1: Sure. So. Um, hypothetically, if there are companies out there that are interested in being very open with their data and sharing their data, uh, should those companies be exploring an ICO as opposed to an IPO? Or uh, what are your thoughts there?
2: Um, there's too much uncertainty in ICOs to really consider doing one uh, for a large scale company right now. And I don't think uh, it's dependent on whether or not they're willing willing to share data. I do think that Tokenization, many things will be tokenized and it will increase efficiency and opportunity for organizations. So a tokenized model might be a better way in the future to do things like raising funds. Right. But in the future, it's possible that many things will be tokenized. So if you look at when the stock market was created, it increased the world GDP by orders of magnitude by allowing individuals and organizations to invest in companies well, with tokenization, you will be able to invest in more than just companies. So for example, I just recently moved and bought a house and I am paying for the whole house and own the house. But it's possible that you could turn a, an asset like a physical piece of real estate into 100 tokens. And Chad, you could buy 10 of those tokens. And if I sell the house in 10 years with a $100,000 gain, you're going to get $10,000 of that. And so really, any, any physical asset can be tokenized. So then you can own a piece of real estate in New York City. And not only will we be able to invest in more assets across the world, but more people will be able to invest because those 2 billion unbanked people could own a hundred thousandth of a percent of a piece of property even.
1: Are there any company examples out there that you feel are going about tokenizing assets in uh, a really interesting way or uh, maybe a very ethical way? Um,
2: There's... Big companies and small, There's, I think there's there's one company that's kind of interesting that they're allowing you to create tokens for uh, mint branded tokens. So you can create a token for any use case. Let's say you're an airline company and you want to tokenize your reward system. So there's a company called Simple Token that allows you to, as a company, create your own token without having to go through all the hurdles of doing an ICO. Right. And you could create a uh, personal token. So I could create a Nate token that people can invest in if they believe that I'm going to be more successful over time. Maybe a percentage of my income on my W2 gets allocated to the token
1: holders. So it's effectively uh, an income share. It offers many opportunities like an income share agreement.
2: Yeah. And this can be used on the flip side to invest in individuals. So I'm a fan of sure. something called Lambda School. Right. Well, well I could personally find individuals who I believe are going to be successful. And I could say, I will pay for your education, your room and board. I just want uh, 10% of your first three years' salary. And then, not only am I investing in this person, but now I've got skin in the game. I want this individual to be successful, Succeed. so I'm gonna yeah. mentor them through their educational process. I'm gonna help them find an internship. I'm gonna make sure that I use my network to make sure they have a high-paying job. And it's a win-win situation.
1: Right, and in a way, this. Uh helps move education back to the apprenticeship model um, do you feel that's a good thing do we need more of an apprentice like nature in our culture
2: i think that value of a degree has gone down as the incentive for in- institutional educations has been to have more students rather than to um, educate those students more so right. i don't know if an apprentice model will build the way to go but i think that education will will shift pretty dramatically in the next 20 years for sure, certain.
1: Sure, and um, I would love to talk about uh, how you're integrating DLT uh, to secure data from tampering. So what are the general mechanics of that system and what does that process uh, look like?
2: We have uh, a lot of data coming in this book and we want to make sure it stays secure. So we are leveraging this new technology blockchain To make sure that anything that gets indexed or ingested into Splunk, we can prove in the future that it hasn't been modified, as I mentioned earlier. And this can be useful for uh, typical machine-generated data. So you want to prove that a computer communicated to another computer at a certain point in time, or that a conversation happened, a phone call happened, an email happened, which can be useful for protecting intellectual property, or for HR purposes, or any number of reasons.
1: And I would imagine it saves huge amounts of money in e-discovery, or is that an application?
2: Uh, some applications are just decreasing the amount of time it takes to do an audit. The auditors can trust gotcha. that. Other sure. times might be um, clinical trial data for healthcare is often manipulated to help drugs get uh, approved so you can prove that the data hasn't been manipulated. But you can really use it to secure any of that time. So when my daughter was born, I splunked her birth information or latitude or longitude or name or weight or parents' information and then splunk wrote that. Hash to Ethereum mainnet. So now at any time in the future, I can prove that this data hasn't changed, that I, I was the first one to claim it and put it inside of Splunk. So effectively making her the new kit on the blockchain, I guess.
1: That's awesome. Very, very cool. So what are some other use cases for this? Or could you go into uh, one particular use case in a bit more detail?
2: Well, I think that overall, it's interesting that we're living in a digital world, but it's not fully digital. It's mostly physical. So we place our trust in things like titles and deeds and uh, dollar bills. But how do we know we can trust those? I think it's kind of silly that I may own a car because I have a signature on a piece of paper somewhere. How do you really know that that belongs to me if I sell you a car and give you the title? Actually, since I just recently moved, I remember paying thousands of dollars for... title search. It shouldn't be that complicated. It should be much more efficient. And the reason that happens is because um, sometimes there's multiple claims to the same property. So especially in other countries, it's it's not uncommon for someone to say, that land is mine. Here's my paper that proves it. And there's no way to really prove who really owns the land. So this is something that this technology will um, help solve.
1: Right. And Nate, I would love to get your thoughts on the blockchain and, uh, Bitcoin enthusiast community as a whole right now. Um, oftentimes they've kind of clashed with traditional finance and traditional culture. Um, where do you see the blockchain culture at, uh, now?
2: Mm-hmm. So I think it was start, Bitcoin was started, really took off with Bitcoin max lists who are, um, very excited and passionate about the space. Um, and then, as the price has gone up, there's been a lot of misinformation, quick rate, fraud, scams. But there's still a ton of value in the system. And what I've seen over time is the smartest people I know moving into the space. A few years ago, I was still skeptical of the technology, and so I decided to go deep. I had uh, some parental leave. It took a few weeks, and I really studied the technology at a fundamental level. And I came out of that believing that this is going to be a generational technology that it is going to apply to many industries, just like the internet did. And I want to be part of that. Um, help make that happen. And I don't think I'm alone there. I think we have many more talented people coming to this space and actually it's it's pretty apparent because if you look at almost any source of hiring, uh, blockchain is the fastest growing job there is. It's three right. times larger than machine learning developers, which is second
1: place. That's incredible. So. Is there enough education in place uh, online for the blockchain community? Um, Are there any examples of attempts at formalizing that education and creating credentials that you think are exciting?
2: Yeah, it's uh, it's growing rapidly, but what's interesting is that when this technology was first introduced a decade ago, it came into existence before academia had really created it. So it's the first time I've ever seen where academia is trying to catch up to a new technology. Right, And over the past few years, I've seen so many um, courses that are available both online and now by major universities. I think something like 50%, more than 50% of top tier schools have uh, blockchain program certifications or some even wow. have full on degrees. And then the most innovative ones are actually using blockchain technology to prove that you did get the certificate or that you did get the degree. Right. So others can verify when they're hiring that not only do you have the certificate or the degree, but it hasn't been revoked as well.
1: Sure. And when we think more deeply, maybe about the uh, blockchain and Bitcoin enthusiast community, I'm just curious to get your thoughts on, you know, what are some of the attributes of the community in your eyes? And as it becomes less ideologically motivated, um, what do you see it being motivated by? Just the technology, or you know, a larger sense of mission? Uh, what What are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, there's motive. People have different motivations. Some are financial. Some are wanting to make an impact, like baking the unbanked, and others just want to implement the technology because they, they believe in it so much. Um, and each one of these different blockchain projects has different trade-offs. They have some have trade-offs on security. Some have trade-offs on speed. Some have trade-offs on governance. I think governance is one of the most important, but often least thought of requirements for any blockchain whether it's an enterprise blockchain or public permission, permissionless, et cetera. And we're seeing a lot of experimentation on different governance models for this technology.
1: Sure. So with governance models, um, are there any innovations in that space that you're watching or that you've learned about recently?
2: <clears throat> so it depends on the application. From the enterprise perspective, it usually starts out as there's a consortium that's, that's created. And this consortium members have a certain amount of votes. In some cases, they will have a single party that gets all the say in the beginning until the system becomes more decentralized and then the voting gets divvied out to other people. And some projects like MakerDAO, the token holders themselves are the ones that vote. Right. Um, But yeah, there's there's a lot of different models and we'll see see what works and what doesn't.
1: And let's uh, shift gears for a moment if you're open to it. And I would love to talk about some of your uh, favorite stories. Uh, are there any favorites you have?
2: Um, so I don't know if you remember around uh, Thanksgiving last year, it was pretty hard to get any romaine lettuce. And that's because there was a salmonella outbreak and it's very challenging to figure out what batch of food was bad. Was it from a specific farm or was it from during transportation? And what happens is a search goes on right immediately to figure out what lettuce is bad. And it can take Walmart seven days or more to figure out what they can trust and what they can't, what is safe and what is not safe. So they just have to wow. throw out, throw away seven days worth of food. And so what they've done is they've been working with IBM and they've created a system that allows them to take that seven day process into two seconds.
1: Wow. That's fascinating.
2: And so it's, it's not like saving a lot of food. It's saving them money. And this is such a big deal that Walmart made it a requirement for all their leafy grain suppliers that are direct to be on their blockchain by January 31st of this year. So it's already happened. What that means is if you wanna sell lettuce to Walmart, you have to be using their blockchain.
1: That's really, really exciting. Um, Do you think that this offers a lot of opportunity for small businesses by taking expenses off of their plate, basically?
2: Yeah, I think that small businesses and large have to deal with a lot of middlemen, but the small businesses have less say with the middlemen, and there's a lot of reasons why this technology can help eliminate those middlemen or significantly reduce the costs, which is going to help them move faster and save money. But also, it's common that little bit that businesses can go out of business simply because the terms are too long. Maybe it's net thirty or net sixty, but it takes too long for them to get paid, even though they delivered on what they they promised. Right? Advent of smart contracts; these small businesses can now get paid by a contract that's automated. So they significantly reduce their risk.
1: And what are the uh, best providers of smart contracts uh, in your view?
2: The people that write them? I, I don't have a good answer for that. Um, smart contracts are not that difficult to write. It's generally pretty similar to writing in JavaScript using something like Solidity. What is important is the making sure the smart contracts are secure because you can't really effectively update a smart contract. And so if someone figures out to take advantage of it, that can be a big problem. And that's how when you hear blockchain's been hacked, most of the time it's a case where the smart contract wasn't secure enough and money was stolen. So we might escrow some value in a smart contract. And now if it's public, some people might want to go and try to attack that smart contract and figure out how to get that money or value.
1: Sure. Um, Any other stories come to mind?
2: a lot of our customers are telecommunications companies and they have a problem of real-time of settlement as well. So if you your phone goes into roaming and you start um, getting roaming charges, well, with telco providers, they will reconcile how much did your customers use of our network versus theirs. And the way they do that today, from my understanding, is they each keep a copy of their own data and they then try to reconcile. And, and there's a lot of disagreements, as you can imagine. But if they were on one shared ledger it would eliminate this problem and it is a big problem. It's something like $29 billion a year in fraud from roaming charges and other reconciliation issues. And so now they'll be able to just settle in real time, which lowers the risk and their costs. And this is a, back to that middle tier term uh, use cases of the technology for enterprises is increased efficiencies. Um, there's companies like Storage and Filecoin that are leveraging unused disks capacity for online file storage. And it can be hard for centralized business models to compete with this decentralized model. Jeff Bezos is famous for saying, your margin is my opportunity. Can this technology disrupt something like Amazon Web Services S3 storage? It possibly could because Amazon has to procure all the disk space that their customers will need ahead of time, which is a big capital expenditure. But these other decentralized models are using available disk space that's in existing enterprises that they're not currently using or even home computers then you can Mm -hmm. pay for varying levels of resilience and availability and speed Mm -hmm. and they don't have any of the capex
1: wow so it would seem like uh amazon would be the one that would be most interested in aggressively exploring this technology um have they made any interesting acquisitions or uh investments in the space
2: amazon's definitely making some uh uh, investments, and more of the management infrastructure side. I don't know if they're considering any business model uh, sure. changes. But this, the advent of technology disrupts business models all the time. It's not something new. It's not like blockchain's the first to do anything like this. You can think about how Wikipedia disrupted the encyclopedia business by putting the information on the web. And we're starting to see decentralized models from Wikipedia to Lunar to uh, Lunar is the equivalent of a decentralized model. Or YouTube, there's a decentralized version now called d because Google has the ability to chart, take a, a pretty significant cut of the value that's being created by the, the content providers. Sure. And then Google could also change the rules in the future. But in a decentralized model, it operates quite differently.
1: Very interesting. Uh, Nate, are there any questions you wish I would have asked or any final thoughts you want to leave our listeners with?
2: I think that we're moving into a world where privacy is more important. People are trusting less and this gap uh, can be closed with, with blockchain. So, for example, people don't trust the government as much because of things like Edward Snowden. They don't trust the news as much because of all the fake news. And they don't trust organizations or enterprises more like Google and Facebook because of things like Cambridge Analytica. And what we're seeing is these this privacy-focused mindset. So if you look at Google and Facebook and Apple, they're all working hard to try to prove that you can trust them, and privacy is very important. And so I'm excited to see what happens in the, the space as we all get to have privacy, maybe even be in control of our own data. So. When I, when I go to the doctor, I don't even know what they know about me. Um, it's often, I would love to see all my records. Maybe there's a way I can get some of my records. But even better, I'd like to be able to grant or revoke access to some of my information to healthcare providers. So if I'm going in for shoulder surgery, they don't need to know about my stinky feet syndrome. And this technology will enable that.
1: Definitely. So Nate, what are your thoughts? Can we be in control of our own data?
2: I think this is a really important thought. Since trust is diminishing and people are caring more about privacy, I think they really want to be in control of their own data. We don't want our data to be in a centralized database that can be hacked or our information to be sold without us getting any of the benefits. And recently I moved and I had to update my address so many places. And I was just thinking about all, like from bank accounts to cell phone provider. And I was just thinking about all the places my information is stored on other people's computers. and I don't know what they even know about me. Right. Instead, my data should be should be sharded in a secure way across many distributed servers. And I should be able to grant and revoke access to those that I determine need it. So for example, if my cell phone company needs to know my social security number or something like that, I can grant them access to query it. And then they don't even have to store a copy of my personally identifiable information, which is a benefit to them. because that data and those servers where they store the data are subject to security, compliance, and regulation. And then another benefit of that is next time I move, I can go update my information and anyone who needs to query it will see the updated information rather than me having to go change it everywhere else. And if I no longer trust a company or I no longer use that company's service, I can revoke their, their access.
1: Very cool. So Nate, any final thoughts you want to leave us with?
2: I'm just think about all the areas that we place our trust today, from trusting a dollar bill, to trusting data, to trusting uh, ownership of a car. It's a very physical process today. And when it turns digital, we're going to have increased trust and hopefully increased prosperity as well, as more people can interact with each other.
1: I love it. Nate, thanks so much for joining us. This has been a blast. We'll have to get you on for uh, round two. And for everyone listening, we'll see you next time.
2: Thanks, Chad.
0: Thanks again to our friends at Salesforce. Did you know Salesforce isn't just for sales? Using Salesforce as an employee experience platform helps make every employee across your organization more productive thanks to a common mobile first platform for getting work done faster. Find out more at salesforce.com slash employee experience.